Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Man, this is such a joy for me to be back. Um, I see some faces. You look older. (laughs) And uh, yes, Roger, I see that hand, brother. I love you. And a young man I grew up with over here, old Steve Columbus. We used to sit sit in the back over there and roll up the communion cup rubber thingies and roll them down the aisle and see how many heads would turn. Uh, In other words, I grew up in this church. And uh, I've not come to hopefully bore you with old stories, but to excite you about the future. Amen? It was in 1939 that my grandfather, William Jessup, realized in January of 1939 that if he was going to start a college called San Jose Bible College, he would need to start a church first, that there would be a church that would stand with the college because it would be a Christ-centered college. And so he started Central Christian Church in January of 1939, and I am so glad he did. Amen? Amen. Aren't you? The the people, the family, the friends that have been made through this this place, Um, man, I, I just look forward to the reunion someday up in heaven. Um, so many people have come through this place, finding the Lord and building relationships that last for an eternity. It would be in, in the fall of 39 that San Jose Bible College, Grandpa wasn't so bold as to name it after himself. Anybody new here, I want you to know he didn't start a college and call it William Jessup University, okay? Uh, you name things after people when they're dead because they, they could still mess up in life, you know? So, you, you, so it wasn't until after he had died that we changed it to William Jessup University and moved up to Rockland. Here's a picture that you see here. This is the campus in Rockland, okay? It was started. Started on Fifth Street here in San Jose, then it moved to 12th Street, and then we moved to Rockland to become William Jessup University. Now, uh, there's about 1,600 students. I, I want to tell you some of these things just so you can be excited about what God is doing, that you know what you're a part of, and Central Christian, our number one church the difference you are making in the lives of so many lives. 1,600 students. What you see in the picture is about 800, uh, a little over 800. Those are the daytime students playing sports, living in the dorms. Uh, You know, the whole uh, traditional college atmosphere, Christ-centered college atmosphere. And then there's another 800 that are adults or people studying online. Uh, We have a campus here in San Jose at Santana Row. We rented some office complex, and we have a a really great MBA is what's running really well right now, a master's in business administration, uh, Christ-centered, Christian professors, uh, but we also have some other programs that we're trying to launch there in the San Jose campus. So we've never really left the area, but we're not as well known. We hope you'll continue to share who we are. God's been so wonderful in what has happened. We have over 50 different programs, and I'm not going to make a long commercial. I brought a magazine. You can grab the magazine out there if you'd like and check out what's happening. That's a picture of our, our uh, uh, athletic director and associate athletic director because they're announcing that this fall we will go NCAA with our sports. Woo! Yeah, can you believe it? We will, you might see us... You might see us on ESPN. Who knows? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Uh, But we have 16 sports. We're going NCAA. 
Uh, we have a nursing program now. And the nursing, if you're up in our area and want to check it out, I'd love to have you stop by. We have hospital rooms. So if you're not feeling well, come in. Let our nurses practice on you. <laughs> but we have, we have hospital rooms, and there's mannequins in each one of these beds. And I'm not kidding. And these mannequins are high tech. They breathe. Their eyes dilate. They can moan and groan. They have blood pressure. And we have one mannequin that gives birth. I don't want to watch that one, but it, we, we, it's amazing what we are learning. They are learning before they go mess up on a real human being. Isn't that awesome? So the next time you go into Kaiser or Sutter or whatever health, those are the two organizations we're working with in our area up in Sacramento. They are ready for our nurses, and we're excited to send out uh, God-fearing, Bible-believing, uh, Christ-centered nurses to make a difference for the kingdom. Um, our aviation program, by the way, just got going. It just took off. <laughs> Come on, bad joke. All right. Our aviation program, we have two simulators on campus. We have a partnership with the Lincoln Airport. Our students are getting their bachelor's degree in aviation while they get their pilot's license. That's just a couple of the new programs. But ones like ministry that my grandfather started some 85 years ago, those continue to be strong as we send missionaries on the field. As I have 17 in my preaching club, it's a club. It's not even a class they have to go to, but those who are in some of the ministry programs and other programs come into my club. They preach their sermons, and I say, that's a good sermon. You take that up to Wheatland. That's a good sermon. You take that over to Lincoln. That's a good sermon. You take that over to Fairview. We've got these little churches in our area that don't have pastors, and our students go and preach, and they proclaim God's word, and they get better at what they're doing, and I love it. I love it, and I hope you do, too. Well, old uh, Tim called me up today, the other day, you know, and man, I love Tim and, and uh, Tiffany. I sure appreciate you guys. He, he said, you still believe in free speech, don't you? And I said, of course I do. He said, good, come give one. <laughs> so here, so I, I'm not going to make just a long old commercial, okay? I want to I wanna give you something you can go home with and that you feel like, man, that was worth being here because I know some of you today, you've come in and, and you, that, that's great, William Jessup, okay. But what about my life? What, what about me? What's happening? Um, first of all, I forgot to tell you, we love you so much. We put your plaque over our entryway. Check this out. That's over the entryway of our chapel. Pretty cool, huh? Now, don't, don't, be, don't be too impressed, however. There's 135 of those now hanging. I have 135 partner churches that believe in the school. Isn't that awesome? So people are joining in, believing in the youngest, this new generation coming up. They can make a difference. They are making a difference. But let's talk about you. Let's talk about you and the power of your example. The power of your example. You see, Paul told the church in Corinth, because they didn't have Bibles yet, are you with me? They, 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 he, Paul, Paul, you know, the preachers in those days, they couldn't get up and say, turn in your Bibles. Paul wrote this letter that would become a part of the Bible to the church in Corinth, and he's writing it to you. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, they didn't have the Bible to open up to read about what Jesus had done. You do. But what a powerful thing to think that it is by example that your faith may have come to you. It is by example that your faith will be passed on. Here's what I mean. Many of you, you've come to this church and you've come to the Lord because 
Maybe you heard a great sermon, and you do when you listen. Tim does a good job. I've watched some of his sermons online. Maybe you came to the Lord because of a great sermon. Maybe you came to faith in the Lord because of some song you heard, and that song just puts you over the edge. You knew enough about God. That's it. That's why I believe. Maybe, maybe, you see, it, it, it was some other circumstance, but I can guarantee that almost every one of us, if I were to interview you, you would say, but there was this person or there were these couple of people who lived out their faith. And the reason I'm a Christian today, the reason I follow Christ today is because of the way they lived. It was because of the faith that they had. There was great power in example. And if my wife were here this morning, by the way, our 10-year-old grandson decided to join a wrestling tournament. Two weeks ago, he took first place in the 12-year-old division, and he's a 10-year-old. Pretty cool, huh? He's a little wrestling. So, so priorities took over, and my wife decided she'd go to see the wrestling match. <laughs> Not here today. And if she were here today, she'd say, don't follow his example. He makes a lot of mistakes, and I do. I want to point you to Christ. Follow the example of Christ. But you understand the power in your example to others? That your example, the way in which you live... Act and react to the world around you. The way in which you live is a powerful, powerful example. Here, here's the main truth I want you to take home with you today. You will model what you value. That, that's not a, a principle for you to try to apply. You're already applying it. Everyone in this room is modeling what they value. The question is, what is it that we value? You are modeling what you value simply by the way in which you live. And do you understand you may be the only Bible that some people will ever read? It's a good truth to hold on to. Some people will never pick up God's word. And so by the way in which you live, the faith that you have, you may be the only Bible some people will ever read. Actions create habits, it's been said. Catch this, this is worth holding on to. Actions create habits. Habits create character. Character creates destiny. I said that quickly. Let me tell you again. Actions, they create habits. What you do over and over again becomes a habit in your life. Those habits, they begin to form your character, who you are. And your character ultimately determines destiny. Where you'll be in five years, where you will be maybe in eternity. We model what we value. I want to tell you some stories about some of my family without boring you because they were the most impactful in my life. Maybe your family was who was most impactful in your life in sharing their faith with you. But maybe it was friends. Maybe it was someone sitting right next to you. Maybe it was a coworker. But they were an example in your life. And now you are to be the example for others. So let me just share with you a few stories. Some of you have been around for a while. You've heard some of these. So thanks for indulging me, but there's a lot of new faces, and I think you'll be encouraged by a few of these stories. Here's a picture of my great-grandparents on the far left, Calvin and Matilda Jessup. Calvin and Matilda Jessup. They live down Highway 99 at the Keys exit. If you go down Siri, uh, Modesto, Ceres, Keys, you take the Keys exit, you go right two streets, you come to Jessup Road. 
and their house is still there, a little 1,000-square-foot home. It's surrounded by these huge grain elevators as the farm was purchased by this company. And that house where they are sitting there on the porch is still there today, where they raised six kids in about a 1,000-square-foot home. Wow. One morning, he got up to go out to the stable to hook up the horses to the carriage to take his kids and Matilda to church into downtown Ceres, about three and a half miles away. When he got out to the stable, the horses had busted loose. He called out for them. They didn't come back. He walked back in the house and said, looks like we're walking to church. When they got to the church, what would they find? The horses. And he deduced that the horses were so used to going to church that that's where they went. That's a testimony because actions create habits and habits create character and character creates a destiny. And even your animals are watching you and learning from you. That's really one of the favorite stories that I have of Calvin and Matilda, though I do have Matilda's diary. And it's pretty cool to look through that and see what life was like for them. They modeled what they valued, and so therefore, because what they valued and how they modeled it, their youngest son, William Jessup, he would move here in, to San Jose in 1930, fall of 38, to begin at this church and to be, begin the college in 1939. He was a great encourager, my grandfather. Amazing encourager. I remember when I left for seminary in, in 1989, there was no internet education back then. I went back to Illinois with my wife and six-month-old daughter. When I arrived in Illinois, I was preaching at this little church. I was so out of my element. I was a pastor of this little church in Mount Auburn, Illinois. Everybody was a corn and soybean farmer, and I knew nothing about corn and soybean uh, farming since I grew up right here in San Jose. I doubt many of you plowed a field this morning, did you? And my grandfather knew it, and he wrote me a letter, and he just told me to hang in there. You can do this, and I love you, and God loves you. And while I was going to seminary, and I was driving up to Lincoln and coming back to the Mount Auburn, and uh, I read the letter, and I threw it away. And next week, I got another letter from him, and the next week, another letter, and the next week, another letter, and I thought, this old boy is not going to stop. And uh, so I grabbed a, a manila folder, and I threw it in my file cabinet, and I just started throwing his letters as he wrote them to me. And every week he wrote on Monday for two and a half years just to tell me that he loved me and just to say, hey, hang in there. Keep going. Keep going, man. I know you're doing what God wants you to do. And we're proud of you. Grandma would write sideways at the bottom every once in a while, <laughs> just so I would know it was her. <laughs> and I don't think my grandfather wrote these letters saying to himself, someday Jim will hold these up and he'll show a bunch of people. I think he wrote them just because he cared. And the reason why I'm showing them to you is because maybe, maybe you need to write a letter to somebody that they will keep for the rest of their life. Because you are an example of the faith to them. You may not even realize it, but by simply telling them that you love them, writing down a few words that says that God loves them too, and he's on their side, they just might keep it for the rest of their lives. I remember my father 
from this very stage, he told, told this story many times. When he was a little boy, four years old is when they moved to San Jose. He was only four to start the college. All he knew was he had to just say goodbye to his pet goat. And he had to leave Visalia, California to come to San Jose. And they didn't have much. Boy, they didn't have much at all. It was tough. Fourteen students were the beginning class. You don't get a lot of tuition dollars from 14 students to start a college. And he talks about when he was a little boy, my dad remembers grandma walking around the house saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Then dad said he'd hear her again. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. A few minutes later, he would hear her say it again with even a little more gusto. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. And he realized as he learned from his mom, you rejoice by choice. You can choose to get down in circumstances because of the circumstances, or you can choose to rejoice in the midst of those circumstances. Big difference. And though we're in the circumstances, though we're in difficult times, we can choose to rejoice because we know God walks with us. It would be April 12, 1992. I was pastoring a little church over in Almaden Valley. It was called Almaden Valley Christian Church. In fact, Mary, you're out there somewhere. She was in my church. And um, we were asked to speak. My grandfather and father and I were asked to speak at a church in Morgan Hill. And it was really fun. There might even be one or two in here who heard those days. You've got to be pretty old. But anyways, uh, it was fun. The three of us, we would do these team sermons. In fact, it was in 2019. My dad and I did a team sermon here. But um, i got to be careful not to reminisce too much. I'm going to bore you. Here we go. I want to leave you wishing I'd have said more than wishing I'd have shut up. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, here we go. So we're in Morgan Hill. We're talking about passing on your faith to the next generation. Grandpa went first, 86 years old, sat down right-hand side after he finished his sermon. I got up. I was 26. I began my message. I got halfway through it. I was in a beautiful illustration. I had the people. I had them. They were listening like you are listening right now, looking at me. Man, and it was a great story. And my wife yells out, Jim. In the middle of the, Jim. What? I looked down, I realized she's holding on to my grandpa's head, went back, his mouth opened, he had a heart attack, and he died. April 12, 1992. I jumped down, began the CPR, mouth-to-mouth, a Boy Scout leader in the audience did the compressions, but we didn't bring him back. It was time to go home. No one has died since while I have been preaching still. <laughs> You're all still with me, right? Amen? Good. Keep breathing. You looked a little too serious there. We model what we value. And it was really cool for me to be able to speak the values of my grandfather as he went on to be with the Lord. Well, I could go on and on about my parents. Um, Mom taught me a lot about prayer, man. I tell you what, when I was little, I don't know how many times she looked at me and said, Jimmy, (laughs) you better pray that'll come out of the carpet. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Yes, Mom. And she would carry me up to bed and off of Lean Avenue was our house. And she'd carry me up to bed every once in a while and drop me into bed. And she'd pray and I'd wonder who she's talking to. Until those prayers began to become real in my life. Because I saw them working in her life. 
And I thought, there's something about this. She's talking to somebody I cannot see, but I know he's listening. And she talks to him like it's a friend. You model what you value. When my dad died April, or, um, uh, July 28th, 2020, we were at Vogelsang Lake. Uh, we were backpacking together with a few buddies. And he always said that would be the place he'd love to go, and that's where God called him home, July 28th. Um, when, I, when I got back home, when I got back home and I went to his house, um, I had the unenviable task that many of you have had to do, and that is to box up, pack up the stuff of your loved one that has gone on. And uh, there's just some things that I, I could not put, I, I couldn't give to Goodwill or, 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 or put in a box and just put it up in the attic and forget about it. There was just a few things that I thought, you know what, these, these items, these, these are what my father valued. Why, why I do this for you here is because I wonder maybe it wouldn't be a bad move for you to think about what will your loved ones put in your box someday? What do you value? Huh. Well, first and foremost, sitting on my dad's desk when I got home was his Bible. Man, he valued this Bible. And boy, especially in books like Philippians, look at all of the writing and the the, the sweat and the, and the dirt on these pages for time and time again. He looked through there to learn how to rejoice in the Lord. But all through this Bible, the value of who God was and who God, who, who Christ was in his life was, was seen and he preached from this word. So I, I have to keep that near me. Next really would have been his family. There's about 27 of us in this picture. <laughs> and uh, we were valued by him. And he had it sitting on his desk to pray for each one of us. He was a baseball player when he was young. This is his old glove. Man, this thing is held together with wire. I think it's older than me. He was a lefty. He was a, right, uh, a, a lefty, and he was a first baseman, and he was really quite good. In fact, he turned down an offer from a semi-pro team out of St. Louis to play out of high school because he knew that he was being called into ministry. Uh, he was a ham radio operator. Anybody know what that is? He was W6LAB. This is just a little faceplate the, uh, tra of the transceiver to his ham radio unit. I sold everything else, but I couldn't get rid of this one. It just reminded me of him. He loved to talk to people he didn't know. <laughs> this is W6LAB, W6, Lima Alpha Bravo, calling CQ. CQ, anybody here? And he'd wait for somebody to come back and talk to him. And I'd look at him like, oh, what? Who are you talking to? I don't know, but they're in Australia. It's really cool. Or they're in South Africa, or they're over in Japan. And I said, well, that's really neat, Pop. As he got older, of course, I'd pull out my cell phone and say, I can too, you know. <laughs> he loved the college, and sitting on, the, sitting, uh, on his desk was uh, a little pennant. He highly valued the college. I, I got a few of these sitting out on the table, by the way, by the magazine. If there's one sitting there, you can take it. Um, he highly valued the college because he knew the difference it would make in people's lives. And then I, I, I just, I had to keep this out. I have one just like it. This is his. This is a fly rod. Some of you 
Um, you, you know what this is and how it's used. But uh, he, loved, he loved the symbolism, how Jesus told Peter that he would make him a fisher of men. And my dad tied that fly. It's just called a strawberry roan. Uh, it just looks like ordinary house fly, sort of, a horse fly. But some of you have never seen fly fishing, and I just thought I'd show you. We'll see if we can catch something here. You see, the reason why you see fly fishermen do this, and by the way, if anybody gets really nervous, um, I clip the hook. <laughs> but you see, the reason why fly fishermen do this is because they are getting the, uh, they're getting the, the fly dry and the line flat because the fly was so light. That's why you see them flip it like that. And you lay it out there on top of that water, and a fish comes along, and boom, you jerk it, catch him right in the lip, and it's a lot of fun. And I remember as a little kid, my dad talking to me about the fact that, you know, he told me the story of Jesus and Peter and told how Peter would become fisher of men. And uh, it's about the presentation of the fly like it is the presentation of the gospel. The biggest presentation you will ever make is how you live it out. The greatest preachers in the world are only good if they're living it out. The greatest followers of Christ are only good if they're living it out. You're modeling what you believe. You're modeling what you value. Well, sometimes the modeling is just plain silly. Look at this here. You, you, some of you have seen this picture. In 1970, I think it was, let's show this next picture. 1975, my grandfather climbs half dome and stands on his head. On his 70th birthday, he would climb half dome and stand on his head. But because he did it, his oldest son, Velti, who was a part of this church all of his life, and some of you knew him, he would climb it on his 70th birthday, and therefore my father would climb it on his 70th birthday. And you know what I'll do when I turn 70. I will climb half dome. Mostly, though, I'll climb to go sit. I don't even know if I can do a headstand, but I'll sit on that rock to, <laughs> to pray and to thank God for his blessings and what he has passed on. The world sees things like this as very silly. I, I want you to understand that the world sees what you're doing right now as kind of silly, too. Why are you in here on a beautiful day? It's crisp and it's clear and the sun's shining. Why are you in here when you could be out enjoying the day. You see, the world would look at what we do sometimes as silly. I just pray that you won't, that you will remind yourself that what you're doing is for an almighty God who loves you very much, who sent his son to die for you. Amen? Here, here's the way the world looked at the half-dome things. Uh, the Placer Herald picked up the story and said, one half-dome meets another. And uh, there's a lot of people who think that. <laughs> we model what we value. So if we model what we value, two quick principles, and we'll wrap this up. If we model what we value, then number one, value people over things. Folks, the first statement, we model what we value, is simply that. It's a statement no matter what you believe, it's true. You are modeling it. You're living out what you value. So then you can choose to model what you value. You can choose to value people over things. Hebrews 13, 5, great verse. Could you read it with me? Keep your lives free from the love of money 
Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What a great verse. Keep your life free from the love of money. Not from money itself. I have stuff. You have stuff. God knows you'd have stuff. Let's keep your life free from the love of money. You know the 15% of Jesus' teachings were on money and possessions? He taught more about money and possessions than on heaven and hell combined. It's amazing. And that's not just a general statement. Some guy actually counted the verses. He counted the verses. He knew that it would be creation that would get in the way of our relationship with God. That we would begin to worship creation over the Creator. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that no one can serve two masters. He'll end up loving one and being devoted, uh, uh, hating the other or being devoted to one and despising the other. He says we cannot serve both God and mammon or God and the world, it's translated, or God and money, it's translated. No one can serve two masters. You'll forever be in this tension. And so many of us, including myself, I find myself in that tension at times to value people over things. Now, I, I might have told you this, but it, it's too good. Uh, i got to share it with you. Uh, you see, because money and possessions, they can so mess up relationships, can they not? Yes. Oh, it can so mess up relationships. Harold and Marge, they were at the county fair. And Harold saw the airplane ride by the county fair. It was an actual airstrip. And there was a sign that said, airplane ride, $10. And it was an open cockpit, dual-winged airplane. And Harold said, Marge, I want to ride that there plane. Marge said, Harold, $10 is $10. That plane ride costs $10. And $10 is $10. Harold didn't get to ride. So a little bit later, they're walking around the fair. He sees it again. He says, come on, Marge, I, I just want to ride that plane. She says, Harold, that plane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. Well, the pilot overheard him, said, I tell you what, I'll take you both up in the plane, and if you can keep from making a sound, I won't charge you the $10. They said, okay. They got in the plane. He did every whip and turn and barrel roll he could to get him to holler out. He didn't hear a word. He lands the plane. He turns back, says, Harold, I did everything I could to get you two to holler out. I didn't hear a word. And he said, well, I was going to say something when Marge fell out of the plane, but $10 is $10. I was like, that's a terrible joke, but it's good, isn't it? Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your... Yeah. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, your heart will always follow what you treasure. Your heart will always follow what you treasure. And we have to be so careful, brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, we have to be so careful that money and possessions are the tool that we use in life, not the treasure that is the goal of life. We are simply money managers, and it was no more evident to me than when I got home on that day that my father died, uh, the day when I got back to his house and I realized everything was still there. He could take nothing with him that he valued except the relationship with Jesus Christ and the relationship of others who had come to know the Lord, maybe some because of him.
value people over things. We are simply the money managers. God's the owner, and we can't take any of it with us. And it's why you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. At the time John Rockefeller died, he was one of the wealthiest men on earth. The story goes that someone asked his accountant, how much did John leave? His accountant replied, all of it. And so will you. So will I. So if we model what we value, and we do, here's my challenge. Keep, keep valuing people over things, folks. Value people over things. And the second one, the second one, value the present over the past. Value the present over the I love reminiscing when I come into this place. I love thinking about the cherry trees that used to be on the other side of that wall when this building didn't exist, and that was our main sanctuary was the little A-frame over there that's now your multipurpose room, and there were cherry trees that lined that multipurpose room, and I used to climb them as a kid. I think about meeting my wife here my senior year of high school, and we sat together back there, rarely listening to the sermon. <laughs> I think about the friends that I made and the people who meant so much to me and the people who were older than me who lived out a faith where they hung in there with God. Value the present over the past. Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Don't wallow in past mistakes. Don't wallow in the past successes. And I know that's, that's easy to say. It's really hard to do. But we need to learn from the past and not live in it. Amen? Things are going to change the great theologian Irma Bombeck, that's a joke if you know her name, she said, you know, that change is inevitable, but misery is optional. And boy, things have changed around here in the church, and they'll continue to change as new people come and as methods need to continue to change while the message remains that of Christ Jesus. We look at the past to learn from it. Is that, is that me? We look at the past to learn from it, but we don't live in it. Can I get an amen on that? What I say, we look at the past to learn from it, but we don't live in it. And I know some of you say, Jim, that's so easy for you, of course. Look at your past. You were supported. You were brought up. Uh, you were loved. You were shared the faith in God. And many of you don't have a past like that. I understand. And my wife gives me permission. I even asked her specifically as of before I came here to tell her story quickly to you. She came here to this church because she needed to get out of Kansas and her little town and away from two different dads. One was stepdad and one the real dad who were both alcoholics and both would often beat up her mom. And there was a cycle of abuse in the home. And when she got home, often from school as a little girl, she would be the one who would have to call the cops to break up a fight. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you, you were raised in a home like that. And then at a very young age, her grandfather began to molest her, sexually molest her, all the way into her junior high years, and that will mess you up. In your view of God as Father, and your view of a man who wants to be your husband, it took seven years for my wife 
seven years of our marriage for her to begin to understand that I wasn't going to leave her nor hurt her and that God loved her so very much. Oh, she had a faith in him, but she truly didn't want to surrender to him because of the pain of her past. And she had been living in her past. Now, after 38 years, in fact, it was at seven years, she began to share her testimony with others. And they were encouraged by it. Like, I hope you're encouraged by her testimony today. Because it was when she heard, at seven years of our marriage, when she heard this line from a preacher, you can blame a lot of people for the way in which you were raised, but you can only blame yourself for the way you choose to live today. That, that's a powerful statement, and that's hard-hitting. That's in your face. And it might step on a few toes, but I'm a guest preacher, and you don't have to have me back. Amen? <laughs> but you can, you can continue to blame a lot of people for the way in which you were raised. But you can only choose, you, you can only blame yourself for the way you choose to live today. And you have the ability, by God's strength and by God's power, you have the ability to have learned from the past but not live in it. Now, my wife, what she has, she has scars, emotional scars, but they're no longer wounds that continue to bleed and hurt. They are scars, a reminder of her past and what she has learned from it. But they are just that. They are scars, no longer wounds. Oswald Chambers, a great missionary and author, said, Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were. When God wants you to become something, you have never been. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were. When God wants you to become something, you have never been. Value the present over the past. Learn from the past. Live today. You model what you value what are you modeling? People over things? The present over the past? These are values to aim for. These are values to aim for. In the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens, Greece, great story. Great story. True story. A man named Matt Emmons, he was an American. As I wrap this up for you. He was so good that by the final round, all he had to do was get the shot in a 50-meter rifle competition. All he had to do was get the shot on the target. He didn't need a bullseye, just get it on the target. And he had the gold medal wrapped up. You know the problem? He could see it. He saw the scoreboard. He knew he was so far ahead. All he had to do was hit the target. He thought to himself, I'm going home with the gold, man. This is awesome. 2004, Summer Olympics, Athens, Greece. Matt Emmons. He raises his rifle on the final shot. He fires the shot. The light doesn't come on at the end of his row, indicating the shot had been fired. They pull in the target. There's no hole anywhere on the target. The judges pull in the targets next to his, and there's a perfect bullseye in one of those targets. In his haste, he lined up on the wrong target. In his lack of concentration, and he didn't come home with the gold, the silver, or the bronze. He came home in eighth place. Eighth place because he had missed the entire target. And when I read that story, I thought to myself, how true that could be for us as Christ followers. When we read God's word, we realize Christ has won. Jesus fought the battle and he has won. Now we're still in a battle for life here is the problem. We're in a battle for life here to hold on to what we know is right, to hold on to the values, to be aiming at the right targets. But when you know you've won, it's so easy to start focusing on the wrong things. You with me? Yeah. Amen? And I just challenge you, 
I just challenge you to focus at the right targets in life. You will model what you value. Father, thank you for the chance for me to share.